All right, we are back. Episode 34 of Let's Talk About God. Ready to talk about God. I'm ready. Here we are. Ready to just go for it? Just remember, wherever you go, there you are. <laughs> That's deep. <laughs> that is real it's, deep. It's deep right there, baby. That'll make you think. <laughs> blow your mind. Well, that was so good. We'll just dive into it. We don't need any more... That's all Whatever the it's we called, need. any more babbling at the beginning. But. Okay, we won't babble. <laughs> hey, today we are um, hitting part two of God's communicable attributes, or maybe a little bit more specific, God's moral attributes. If you haven't listened to the first episode, go ahead and listen to it. I mean, you will enjoy today's episode, but you might as well get the foundation and, uh, and, and go ahead and hear about that. But we are going to conclude that with part two today. Last week, we talked about things like God's holiness and righteousness and goodness and you know different things like that. But, but today, we're going to be more in the flow of God's love and everything that builds off of that. So if last week, everything just sort of connected and built off of God's holiness, today, everything is going to connect and build off of God's love. And, and that's good because God is not a science project to dissect. But theology does compartmentalize because we're trying to wrap our brains systematically around a divine yes. being. Someone who is ineffable, which means they are beyond full understanding and comprehension. Exactly. So we're doing this for our sake, not for God or or to, to God. Yes. But if you did a dichotomy of God. If you, if you did two sides, if you wanted to just, uh, because that's what we're doing, mm-hmm. w- whether we meant mean to or not, people like to talk about the holiness of God and the loving nature of God. And too often, it almost seems like they're pitted against one another. Yes. Okay. So how can a holy God do such a mean thing? Yeah. You know, how can a holy God let that happen? That mean thing happen to people? You know, why, how can a holy, how can a loving God send people to hell? Yeah. Well, there's a whole correlation there that there's never a conflict. The, The love and the holiness work together. So I think it's good today, and we won't get into all that. That would, yeah. But the point is, in the last episode, we really focused on that holy nature of God, and now we're seeing that side of him that is not a clash but a complementary yeah. that helps us hopefully to get even a deeper understanding of him. And again, because these are communicable, they're mm-hmm. transmittive. They can be, they should be, as yeah. children of God, they should be evident in our lives. Which, which means when God, as God embodies these attributes and as we embody these attributes, we can live together both with holiness and everything that stems from that and love and everything that stems from that. And we can hold them both in tension, hold them both in community and have them work together in our lives to faithfully reflect who God is, both as go. holy and loving people. Yeah, so, well said. That's let's good. go for it. Let's start with God's love. This is sort of the the foundation of everything that we're going to be talking about today. Um, Here's how I defined love and reading about my study. And honestly, I've heard this a a lot growing up, that love is wanting and wishing the very best for someone, regardless of what it costs the person who is doing the loving, Mm -hmm. right? Um, It is to wish upon someone the very best, 
perfection of God since God is the ultimate good, if that makes sense. It is wanting that person um, to look like God, to treat them that you you want to treat them as God would treat them. It's to do the very best regardless of what it costs me. If I lose everything and they get everything, that is the essence of love. And I think it's most embodied um, in the crucifixion. You know, For God so loved the world, he sent his only son, that God stooped down, became a man, and suffered a criminal's cross for us. God died, in a sense, in his human nature for us. What greater love is there than that? Exactly. In the in the Greek, there are three Greek words for love, uh, eros, philio, and agape. And agape is a kind of a unique word and really not used much in ancient Greek. And the Bible took it and expanded it yeah. as uh, probably as only the Bible could because it is a sacrificial, selfless love. Yeah. That may be the simplest way to say it, a sacrificial, selfless love. And so when you just quoted John 3.16, that love is a selfish, selfless, sacrificial love. Yeah. And you, you, Paul said in Ephesians 5, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. Yeah. So that we're, we're talking about how this is communicable transmission, I mean, transmittive, that, that a husband is to love his wife in that selfless, sacrificial way. We're to love one another. By this, you all men know that you're my disciples if you have a loved one for another. And it's supposed to be a godlike love, which is a selfless, sacrificial kind of love. Not looking yeah. out for my interest, but for your interest. Absolutely. So that's that's kind of, because love is one of those words, it's hard to define. Well, it's kind of like when we were talking about good, goodness in the last episode. Just as we say, that meal was good, we say, I love this meal, I love that movie, I love my wife, and I, I love, love God, car. and the same, and I love my car, in the same sentence. And it's like, we mean very different things right. about all of those. Um, I think when we talk about love, too, this love is an initiating love, in that it doesn't wait for a response. It doesn't wait for you to make the first move. It, it, it has, the, the person who's receiving love doesn't have to do anything. In fact... That person can be your enemies. You know, God displays his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so it's a love that is uh, that initiates and that just goes for you. Like I was watching an episode of The Office yesterday, and Andy and Aaron like one another. And so Aaron's waiting on Andy to ask her out, but Andy's such just, he's so lame. He's waiting on Aaron to ask him out. And so he walks up and he's like, you got any big plans this weekend? She's like, Nope, I'm free. What about you? Completely free. And they're just waiting on one another to initiate. God just goes for it. He's this type of love as he initiates it to the whole world. No waiting, no playing around. That's good. That's really good. That that speaks a, a lot right there about him. Um, I think that's good that he takes the initiative. Um, I think I like what you said about it's such a powerful thing that it'll enable us, the love of God will enable us to love our enemies. Um, and the Bible says that. Love your enemies, do good to those that curse you, pray for them that spitefully use you. Yeah. Bless those that that curse you. And uh and God does that. We talked about in the last episode that God is he, it rains on the just and the unjust. It's sun the sun shines for the the sinner and the saint. 
And so God loved the world. He didn't just love people he thought would be righteous. He loves everybody. And so I heard Dr. Charles Kahn years ago was preaching, and man, he said this. I remember I was like a teenager, but it stuck with me. I've never forgotten it all these years. He said, God has called me to love people I don't even like. That's good. And I mean, that stuck. I'm like, man, I never thought about that as I'm supposed to love people I don't even like. Yeah. But like you said, it's not even that I don't like. It's people I could hate. Yeah. My enemies. Now, I can't hate them if I'm born again, but that's, that's the power of this love that is communicated to us or transmitted to us. That's the kind of love that, that God has for us. Well, I think there's actually like a word for that. We were talking about this earlier before we started the podcast was the Old Testament concept, which is true in the New Testament. We just see it a lot more there of God's loving kindness, which is also oftentimes translated as his steadfast love. Um, the book of Ruth, there's the, the Hebrew word is literally hesed, mm-hmm. which is his steadfast love, his loving kindness. The whole point of, of, of this word is to say that God has a committed love, um, a faithful love, that he is true to his covenant with Israel, that he loves them regardless. Because the story of Israel, if you spend any time in the Old Testament, is God saves them, and over and over and over again, they turn their back on God. Well, what does God do? He shows them this covenant this steadfast love. Which never is ending. Never ending. You turn your back on me, I'll discipline you, but I'm going to bring you right back. You turn your back on me, I'll discipline you, but the moment you repent, I turn you right back. It's a love that no matter what they do, no matter how many times they commit adultery towards God, mm-hmm. he keeps bringing them back. This is what true love is. It has nothing to do with the response, the reaction, the faithfulness, Anything reciprocal from the other person, it is one-sided, one way. I love you, and I'm going to keep loving you regardless. Now, that is a powerful, otherworldly kind of love. That's David said, your loving kindness is better than life. Yeah. He knew life would end, but God's loving kindness never would. So do I go there? Sure. The lyrics of reckless love. Do we rile up our listeners? That's over with. Oh, the overwhelming, (laughs) never-ending reckless love of God. So so the never-ending they talked about, that's real, that loving kindness. But yeah, it's loving kindness. It's it's a kindness that is incredibly filled with love and benevolence. And I know we've talked about like a fatherly yes, a kind of love. love. Yeah, if you've been the evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give good things to those who ask Him? It's just... It's, it's it's the goodness and that loving kindness go together. Absolutely, that word has said is a powerful word in the it Bible is. in the Old Testament. It's used a lot. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about this. Um, I think this is important too. If you're going to talk about God, love is a characteristic of God. This is kind of powerful. God does not just possess love. God does not just exhibit love. God is love. Mm. That's what John says. John and First John, God more than one, says love. God is love. He is the personification of love. Mm. And so where God is truth, God is holy, God is love. Yeah. And so if you want to know what love is all about, you don't have to go get a dime store novel or whatever else or, you know what, you just go look at God. Yeah. And his love is so unlike the world. Let's talk about how holiness kind of makes its way into this stream. God possesses a 
holy love in the sense that it's a unique love. It's a love that can't be found in human nature alone, that it's it's so unlike everything else. It is a pure, holy, undefiled, otherworldly love that that can't even be matched. And that's who comes out of who God is. And it's an unconditional love. Yeah. So he loves us even when we were in sins. But, you know, the Bible says in Romans 5, but God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, yeah. Christ died for us. Yeah. So it's an unconditional love. It's a it's a boundless love. It's without limit. Yeah. As the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. That if God is an infinite God, his incommunicable attribute, well, then his love must be infinite as yes. well because it's yeah. who he is. And it's a tender love and it's a tough love. Yeah. So I know that that concept, um, some people lean more towards one, lean more towards the other. But if you're going to be successful in loving people, you have to have a tender love and a tough love. Children are both cuddled and corrected. Yeah. If you cuddle them too much and don't correct them, you'll spoil them. If you don't cuddle them enough and correct them too much, you'll you'll damage them. Yeah. And so it's a love. And so God cuddles us and tender to us, and then sometimes he whips us. Yeah. As we say down south, you get whooped. <laughs> okay? But it is a reflection of him as, as the Heavenly Father. And it's wanting what's best for us. And oh, every yeah. decision he makes is for our good, even when we can't see it. Isn't it cool, the thought, too, that— there is love between the members of the Trinity. Yeah. I know you had in your notes. I did too. If you read John, I think it's 17, but that whole 14, 15, 16, 17, you know, those mm-hmm. were the last words he spoke with his disciples before he is on the eve before he's crucified. But he talked about how the father loves me and I love the father. Yeah. And I think sometimes we glaze over that. But I mean that there's within the Godhead that holy mystery. Go back to episode one, which we always seem to, <laughs> always do. always seem to go back to episode <laughs> one in some reference. Is that there there is love within the Godhead? I think it shows the importance the importance of love, the importance of love shown to others, because for all of eternity, the three persons have been showing love to one another in a perfect holy love. Now, it's one God. This is where our brains just can't comprehend it, but it's still three persons showing love to one another and loving each other perfectly for all of eternity. I mean, if that's not a picture of what we're supposed to do towards God and towards neighbor, I don't know what it is, you know? And they glorify one another and they submit to one another. Even though in the Godhead they're one in essence and power and glory, they reflect that to us. Yes. To show us that when you love somebody, you give them glory, you give them recognition, you build them up, and you submit. Yeah, It's not lording over them. You love somebody, you submit to them, and you say, you know what? What do you need? How can I help you? What do yeah. you need me to do for you? I'm going to put your needs before mine. Absolutely. Sacrificial, selfless love. So that's pretty good. You know, it's pretty, pretty crazy, too, that God loves sinners, but we need to say he hates sin. And that's that yeah. holiness and love again aspect he loves people he loves his creation but not he doesn't love necessarily what they've become or what's affected them yeah but what does this mean for us how does this affect our lives um it actually affects everything you mentioned this in the last episode that if you can summarize the 10 commandments which is god's standard of 
holiness. They're meeting again. It is love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And in fact, Jesus tells us, love your neighbor not as yourself, but as I have loved you. He's up the ante. And so for us, our entire lives, um, every decision we make is actually supposed to be made out of love. And so, you know, I kind of talked about this with goodness in the last episode. And this one, every decision we make, we should ask, is this loving? Is this loving my neighbor? Is this loving God? Is this a loving decision? Because if God is love, every decision he makes is filtered through that love. And that's supposed to be us too. And so this is this should actually overshadow our lives in a pretty big way um, that we're supposed to love everyone we can, which is wishing the best for them. And it's a sacrificial love. And so, you know, I, I know that there was the coolest things of the early 2000s, but the, the old bracelets, WWJD, what would Jesus do? It is a helpful reminder because naturally we don't want to sacrifice. Naturally, we don't want to give up. Naturally, we don't want to do what's best for somebody else without thinking for ourselves. But that's the kind of decision Jesus makes every time he makes one. And so we need to sort of filter our lives through that in that's, every way. That's good. Um, I think it's interesting, too, that as we grow in God's love, it's it's not something that we just sort of drum up, but in fact, the love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And so at salvation, we've both received God's love and and have been able to, in a measure, understand God's love and know his love. And then, then in the same way, from that well, we're able to reciprocate God's love. And so this is a, a spiritual thing. It's not just all up in your mind, but there's something that spiritually and really has happened in your soul, in your heart, that's transformed you to be able to act this out on a daily basis based on what God has done for you. We love because he first loved us. You you can see somebody who's a mean, selfish person get saved. I've seen it with like men and their wives will say once they got saved, they became the kindest, lovingest, tender person. They said that they're like night and day. And I think God, and not only the love flows through us, but God just enables us to love like sin will not allow us to love. That's good. Yeah. When we get ourselves out of the way. Um, you touched on this earlier. Jesus says the world will know his disciples by their love for one another. I think one of the most important things, one of the most evangelistic things that we can do is not just um, love the world, but let's start with loving each other. The good thing about Christian love between Christian brothers and sisters is we both have the love of Christ. And so it is reciprocated. Maybe when you love the world, they don't show it back because they don't have the spirit of God. But we paint a beautiful picture of how the world is supposed to be when the church unites around love and loves one another because you have Christian loving and Christian loving back. And when they see that, that kind of love is attractive and irresistible, and they realize, I want to be a part of that. And that's why Jesus told us to begin with loving one another. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think one of the most important things that we can do is have Christian unity and love. And that's why I think it's important to have uh, a healthy relationship with Christians of other local churches, denominations, you know, belief systems, whatever. Theology is important. That's why we have this podcast. Let's talk and work out our differences. But at the end end of the day, if you are a believer in God, let's work at how we can not divide, but unite under the common banner of Jesus Christ. That's what changes the world. That's it. 
That's good. Well, let's move on to now sort of a, a facet of love, and that is God's grace. We hear about God's grace all of the time, um, and it's one of the most important aspects of him and things that he extends to us. Um, I've defined it as this, and I want to know yours. Grace is the unmerited favor of God shown to man primarily in Jesus Christ for salvation, but in plenty of other ways too. And when I say unmerited, I, I mean unearned, right? You didn't gain merit from it. You didn't do something to deserve it. In fact, as soon as you deserve grace or are owed grace, it ceases to be grace. The whole point is that it's favor that you did nothing for. And we primarily see that in Jesus Christ's offered for I, our salvation. I have- I have nothing to add. I think that that would be my definition. Yeah. Unearned, undeserved, you don't work for it, unmerited favor of God, blessing of God um shown to all mankind but primarily to to his his people. Yeah. through the through the person work of Jesus Christ. I wrote the lyrics to um it's that hymn, Grace Greater Than Our Sin. Is that is that the yeah. name of it? It's just grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. And the verse is marvelous, infinite, matchless grace, freely bestowed on all who believe. You that are longing to see his face, will you this moment his grace receive? I thought that those were beautiful lyrics that kind of sum up what God's grace is. It's marvelous, it's infinite, and it's matchless, bestowed on all of those who receive it and offer it to the entire world. Well, the probably one of the most common, well-known songs even in the world that's a hymn is Amazing Grace. Yeah, How sweet exactly. the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Exactly. But I think we understand it's just the nature of God to extend grace. Yeah. And let me say that again, so in case you missed it, it's the nature of God to extend grace. God is a giving God. Yes. God is a blessing God. God is an enriching God, and he is benevolent. We've always we've already talked about that. And I just think it's important that we just remember you don't earn it, and we struggle with this. There are people that really struggle with this, is I've got to do something to make God want to bless me. Yeah. But that's not how it works. Um, Jesus, there was a guy in the Bible, his servant was sick and I think he was a centurion and the Jews went to Jesus and in trying to convince him to come help him, they said, he's built us a synagogue and he deserves this. He's a friend of the Jews. Yeah. He's a friend of the Jews. He's deserving. And they actually use that word. And I just thought, you know, that Jesus heard that and he went and he did it, but he didn't do it for that because that would not, that would go against the grain of the nature of God. He does things because he wants to, yeah. not because he feels obligated yeah. to. And that's why when you're asking for something from God, you just have to say, Lord, I don't deserve this. And if you do it, you're going to have to do it just because you love me. And it's because your will, you know, what you, what you want to mm-hmm. do. And so, um, and I know you, you got in your notes, there's common grace and salvific Grace. Yeah. Why don't you talk about that for a minute? Well, God's common grace is the grace that he bestows on all of humanity. It's a free gift. It's what everyone gets to enjoy, whether you ever love him and serve him or not. And, um, you know, sunshine, uh, medical equipment and, you know, devices, uh, just crops growing and food for the world, just good helpful, wonderful gifts to humanity. Technology. Receiving beauty, technology, 
just a nice warm day and you feel the breeze on your skin. You just, it's wonderful. It's, it's just these little gifts that everyone gets to participate in, even if you're not a Christian. But then we see God's salvific grace, which is grace that ushers you toward salvation. So we've talked about um, prevenient grace before, which is just the grace that goes before. It's the things that point you towards God. It's um, uh, You told a story of Chuck Colson being on the fishing boat and seeing beauty and for a moment going, there is a God. It's um, you know those occurrences and those happenings that point us toward God. It's the grace that moves through the Sunday sermon that says, man, I need to repent and turn from my sins. Um, but I would say God's grace um, is with us from before, from beginning in the middle to the end, that we are created for God work, good works, excuse me. We're not saved by God's works, but it's God's grace working in us always for salvation. So we're moved to accept God. It's God's grace when we're justified. It's God's grace right now as he's sanctifying us and he's making us holy. And it's God's grace when we're glorified and in the fullness of our salvation. It's never about us. It's never on our work, on what we've earned or whatever. It's always God's grace fueling us. I'm so good, I deserve this. Exactly. And it's not, I'm good enough for this. Yeah, right. And we never, we're made for good works, but we're not saved by good works. Now, we comply with God's grace. I would say that if you just sit on your hands at home all day and close your eyes and do nothing, well, you're not going to be holy. But it's not you or your goodwill or you're good, anything that's doing it. It's Paul said it's God's grace. Um, what, what does he say? To, to will and to work for him. It's God's power working mightily in him. Mm-hmm. You know, he said, I've worked harder than all of you, and it was God's grace doing it. So it's God who produces that good in us to work. That favor of God again. Absolutely. I love the passage in Romans where he says, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And that's yes. not just for someone to get saved, but when we fail— Yes. And we all fail. Okay. You're you're going to sin. John said I write these things that you don't sin, but if anybody does sin, mm-hmm. we have an advocate with the Father and atoning sacrifice. But but there's always there's God's grace. I mean, boy, God is just I think we're going to talk about this in a minute, but um his long suffering, but it's just amazing um how God is just gracious gracious to And I think one of my favorite uh verses in the Bible, it's in the Old Testament. And it is one of my favorite. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in mercy. Yes. That's and great. That's one of my boy I bank on that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that better be true. Yeah. I would say just a couple more things um, about grace is that we should show grace. Show grace to those um, in need, but grace is also to those who aren't in need. Grace really um, isn't based on the situation of the person receiving grace. It's just giving it to someone. It's just giving grace. And so just go help someone. Go volunteer on the weekends. Go mow the lawn for a neighbor. Go buy somebody's meal just because. Grace is simply showing favor, doing something good, literally just because. Nothing to do with no the other obligation. Person. No obligation. You don't owe me one. Nope. Hold it over their head. That's not grace. 
I think it makes me think of, I'm going to use another office reference. Dwight comes in one day and he starts doing all of these favors for people. And every time he gets done, he goes, you owe me one. Because he wanted basically everyone to agree with him to to get Jim fired. And so he's trying to do all of these little things so that people would owe him one. God's not like Dwight doing you favors so that you owe him one. He's literally just doing it and expecting nothing out of his love in return. Uh, This is a real life example. And then we can move on just as a picture of grace. Um, When I was in college, I had to take a Greek class. Um, It was miserable. I hated it so much. Um, And so I wasn't very good at it. I managed to do like decent on the first test, but the second test was coming up and I knew like, I'm going to bomb. This is bad news. And so we show up to class that day. I'm nervous. I'm ready to get like a terrible grade. And the professor walks in was Dr. Chrysler. And he just sits down and he just says, I'm going to give you all a free 100 today on your test. And we only had three tests the whole semester. So it counted huge. And he said, I'm going to give you a free 100 because I don't want you to ever forget what grace is. And that moment has always stuck with me. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. No one asked him to do it. He just showed up. So it wasn't Dr. Ford or Dr. Buick. It was Dr. Dr. Chrysler. Chrysler. (laughs) I'm sorry. I I cannot resist. But it, that, that's a picture of what grace is. That's so cool. Let's embody that's that. That's a great, day. great story. Yeah, Professor, yeah, he, he, you'll never forget that. Well, let's talk about mercy. Mercy and grace are so similar, um, but I think that there is a, um, a specific aspect that makes that separates mercy from grace. This is the aspect of God's goodness that shows pity and compassion. It's God not giving us what we do deserve. And what I mean is that mercy is based on a situation. If it's based on pity and compassion, then the person receiving mercy is usually in a bad situation. And so it's extending that help for someone who is desperately in need. So here, here's the, the difference between grace and mercy. If I was to write a $1,000 check and give it to a wealthy person that is in no need of this check, that would be grace. Because it has nothing to do with them. They're not in need. But if I was to write a $1,000 check to a homeless person, that's mercy because they are in need and it's out of pity and it's out of compassion for that person and for their situation. And that's one aspect of it. Uh, I think, and that's good. I mean, I think it's good that you showed that, that that, that's being merciful to someone. Um, If you take it probably even even in a deeper, truer sense when it talks about justice, because mercy is always usually about you've messed up, Here's what you deserve. You've done but, wrong. Yes. You 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 have incurred a penalty or punishment for the error of your ways. Because the only people who cry for mercy are usually people that have, you know, there's there's a mess up of some yeah. sort, you know, or because like because like what you just told is the example of mercy where the blind man said, "Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Yeah, show me pity, show me compassion." So that's the one side of it, okay. And then the other side, which I'm talking about, is where I've messed up, and I look at the judge, and the judge is ready to throw the book at me, and I say, have mercy. Mm-hmm. It's the story of the sinner and the Pharisee that Jesus said who goes into the temple, and the Pharisee walks to the front and says, Lord, 
I thank you that I'm such a good man. I've I'm tithed, not like that guy. And I'm not like that guy back there. And the guy in the back who was a tax collector and a sinner dropped his head and wouldn't even look up and said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Yeah. So he knows I deserve to be punished. I deserve to go to hell. I don't deserve anything from you except bad, and I've incurred it. Would you have mercy on me and not do those things to me? And what's beautiful is that there is a merciful side of God yeah. where we don't get the punishment we deserve. We don't get the the damaging effects that some sometimes God will waylay those or or remove those. Uh, the judgment is moved from from us. Um, and so I just think that's that's pretty powerful because sometimes people think God is a just a mean old man ready to start smacking us with lightning bolts. Yeah, and he's not. I mean, he's a he is again gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in mercy. Yeah, I think um, of the story of the leper where Jesus um, is you know finds the leper and and the leper says, "Lord, if you will, heal me." And so leprosy is a disgusting disease. Um, it's surely a death sentence. You're outside of the camp. Um, it represents sin because you're separated from God, the temple, and others, you know, your community. You have to live outside. And so Jesus finds this leprous man and out of compassion extends his hand, touches the man, and heals him. And so I, I, I love that picture for us because we're in that same terrible state sick with sin, guilty as charged, um, separated from God, and he mercifully finds us in our brokenness, finds us in what we deserve, and reaches out and heals us anyways. And and so God, like you said, is not just, he is not just justice. He is not just slamming the gavel down, but he is loving and merciful and desires to heal you and save you and forgive you. And before we get an application, let's make sure we're saying this. That doesn't mean that God violates his sense of justice or holiness to show mercy. Yes. His his mercy, if there's any mercy extended to us, and this is so critical, it is because of the of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So when you talk about God being merciful and, and whatever, it usually ties into Okay, so so he does. So as a, as a father has pity on his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. I think the Bible says so. There is that compassion pity, but but when it comes to right and wrong, the mercy that you can get only comes through appealing to the work that Jesus did, mm-hmm. because the punishment that you deserved has to be inflicted. Well, it was on Jesus two thousand years ago. So on that basis, you can say, and sometimes we mess up. Uh, and we just beat ourselves up. I, I don't need the Holy Spirit. I do a pretty good job myself, but yeah. he'll he'll convict you too. And sometimes we beat ourselves up so bad that we just think I deserve this, I, and we'll punish ourselves. And we're realizing God says, "Why are you, why are you doing to yourself what I'm not going to do to you? You asked me to forgive you on the basis of what my son did. There is grace for that. If we confess our sins, He's faithful, just forgiveness, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And God says, "Stop playing me. You're you're doing more to yourself than I am." Yeah. I've extended mercy to you. Extend some mercy to yourself. Yeah. Go your way and sin no more. Exactly. God's mercy and justice, they don't... Conflict. They don't conflict. They're they're perfectly together. And so for us, 
Um, I, I think the way that we can apply this is one, like you said, don't beat yourself up. God's mercy is real. He's extended his mercy. No, you don't deserve it, but you do have it because of Jesus Christ. Two, um, I think this should produce in us a healthy humility um, that just like the publican, you know, it says he beat his breast. He wouldn't look up to God. He knew that he was a sinner. In the same way, we face the facts that, yeah, we're guilty as charged. We are sinners. We've done wrong against God. And the only reason we're saved is because God decided to have mercy on us, not because we were actually righteous. And so it should allow us to live our lives uh, in, in humility, both in our relationship to God and relationship to other people, because we can would the rest of the world say, yes, I was a sinner, and yes, there are times when I still do sin and mess up. It's only because of God's mercy. And so we don't live in judgment of other people as if we are so much better than them that we're only in the state we're in because of God. Yeah. Um, and then finally, we're called to extend mercy to others. Um, and this isn't easy. Mercy can cost you, um, but... Mercy is an aspect of God. It's who God is, and we should live it out. And so here's what I mean. We can forgive others who sin against us. And that's way easier said than done. No, they don't deserve it. No, they, they did wrong to you. They hurt you. They could have hurt you in a bad way. They could have damaged your business. They could have physically hurt you. They could have damaged your family and your relationship, whatever it is. And yet we are called to forgive we have to forgive. Jesus says, you got to forgive others because of the way I've forgiven you. It's mercy. No, they don't deserve it, but it's who we're called to be. Um, you can forgive debts, like actual debts for other people. We see this uh, in the Old Testament, You know, the year of Jubilee and, and forgiving the debts and setting slaves and servants free and, and different things like that. And um, you know, maybe somebody owes you something. They said they'd pay you back. They said they'd do it. And if you're in the position where you can show mercy, Maybe you show mercy and, 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 and live out what God has done to you. And um, it's not easy, but it's what we should do. Remember the story in the Bible that Jesus told of the man who owed his master a Impossible large amount of sum money. of money. And yeah. so the guy was going to throw him in prison and, you know, just drop the, drop the hammer on him, put his kids in jail, whatever. Anyway, um, he just begged for mercy, and the man graciously forgave him. And then he goes out, and a guy owes him $17, and he throws the man in jail. And when the king found out, he took the first guy and threw him in jail. Yep. And he, the sin was that he didn't show the same kind of mercy that mm-hmm. was given to him. And so it's it's real easy to be judgmental. Yeah. Some people are more judgmental than others. And they don't have a lot of grace, and they don't have a lot of mercy. But you better be careful, because he who is merciful will receive mercy. Mm-hmm. The Bible says that. And if you extend judgment, you're going you're gonna to be judged back. So the best life is to live as a life where you're merciful yeah. to people. Now, you know, if you're in a position where you have to uphold a law because you're obligated with your position, mm-hmm. that— you, you can't do anything about that, or the laws are dictating it. But if it's something where you can extend mercy, um, that we need to be merciful to one another. Yeah. Uh, because we all fail, and we all sin, we all say we're going to do something, and then things happen in life. Um, but it's when we reflect God mm-hmm. is when we're merciful. Yeah. And I, and I would say even practically, that might be a another good prayer to pray. I talked about, you know, th- dwelling on God's holiness 
you know, maybe maybe join yourself with the publican and just daily praying, Lord have mercy. Yeah. <laughs> like Jesse from from uh, Full House, right? Yeah, Lord, Lord have, have mercy. mercy. <laughs> but in a serious way that every day we cast ourselves on the mercy of God and just reminding ourselves of that and asking for God's favor there. Yep. Um, finally, we're going to try and wrap this up. We have got God's long suffering. Now, what's your definition? What is God's long suffering? Uh, it's, I just, I like this little phrase. It's just God's patient endurance with us. That's good. And if I'm going to use it sort of in the vernacular, it's just God putting up with us. Yeah, it is. That's how I term it. It's just God putting up with me. Yeah. Putting up with their junk. Yeah. What's yours? Mine was more a little bit more technical at the same thing. Long suffering, it's God's self restraint in the face of provocation. Yeah. That it's we're doing something wrong, we're doing something stupid, we're doing something annoying, and God's just putting up with it. Well, that's what I said. I use that same root word. We provoke God with yeah. our sins, our rebellion, our disobedience, and instead of him striking us down, yeah, he exercises and this is interesting. He exercises self restraint. Yeah. That's pretty cool. It is. I read this. This is kind of funny, and this is kind of cool. So apparently, like literally speaking, when the when the Old Testament in Hebrews says that God is long suffering, it literally reads, "God is long of nose." So here's here was the the picture of the day that when he is angry, it's like his nose is burning red hot. That would make sense of the language, so that his nose grows like Pinocchio, and would take a long time for his whole nose to burn up. So that's a kind of a funny cultural picture wow. that made sense back in the day. So imagine Pinocchio and his nose is getting longer and redder. Well, God's nose is so long that it would take forever to burn up. That's kind of funny. I would I would reinterpret that to say you have a long fuse or a short fuse. Yes, exactly. It's kind of the same thing. Kind of the same God, thing. God has a long fuse, and so it's taken a while for him to blow up. Doesn't mean he won't, right. but it's taken a long time. Um, you know, when we look at Scripture, it says, because they formally did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, and which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. The whole world was sinning, but God was patient until he, he brought the flood. Um, For 120 years? Yes. Isn't that how long it took? Long time. 120 years, Moses built the ark and had a object lesson sermon every day. Yeah, telling And people them. saw him, and he said, judgment is coming, repent, and not one person did. But God put up with mankind for another 120 years, or however long it took to build the ark. Yes. We see, um, uh, I think it still is the Apostle Peter, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote. Um, he says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And so God is patient with sinners. And what the apostle Peter is speaking about right there is that God is delaying coming back because he's patient with sin. He's not executing justice just yet in, in the final judgment. Why? Because he desires everyone to be saved. I think kind of in the realm of this, we, we see that God's kindness leads us to repentance. And I think God's kindness is, is, is executed through his patience, that he gives us ample time to repent and to turn towards him. And so this is God's patience. 
putting up with our stuff, not executing justice, giving us time to repent before he righteously and justly uh, executes that judgment or that discipline or whatever yeah, on it, us. Because it's prom- – and that Second Peter 3, 9 passage is really – powerful. It really fits here because God has promised that a day is coming of reckoning, a day of reckoning for a sinner. But it isn't like God wants that day to be here today. Yeah. But but he is long-suffering towards sinful people. He's patient. He patiently puts out them because he doesn't want them to die and go to hell. He doesn't look forward to that day. He's going to do it. Yeah. But he's hoping and praying, not praying, he's hoping and believing Giving men he's opportunity praying to himself. Praying himself. <laughs> I was just saying, hope and praying. But he's hoping and believing and giving. And what he's doing, he's giving men opportunity. Yeah. And, and what yeah. happens is when he does finally judge them, he'll be able to righteously mm-hmm. stand before them and say, I gave you 50 years, 60 years, 70 years of your life, 80 years of your life. I gave you this chance, this chance, this chance, this chance. What else do you want from me? Yeah. I, I gave you time. I gave you time, and we see this played out in the Old Testament: Sodom and Gomorrah. The time, the, the time, it had reached that time. I'm going to execute judgment on them. Yeah. On the on Canaan, you know, it had reached the time, and then God executed judgment on them through Israel. And every in every situation in which judgment is unleashed, God gave them the time. He doesn't have. He doesn't make it happen just yet because their sins have to build up, is what he says. And then it's like. All right, I can justly do this. Yep, it's I know. Time. So, uh, you know, as far as what this means for us, one, I would say what what the Apostle Peter said, taken directly, God is being just right now, and He's being very, very patient with us. And the reason He's not coming back um, is because He is being patient, long suffering, and wants people to repent. And so, you know, if somebody wants to make fun of you, or where's your God now? Or yeah, He hasn't come back yet. He never is. Not true at all. God is being patient, and that's why he hasn't come back yet. Um, Two, if God is patient with us uh, in our sinfulness, we should be patient with other people. That is really difficult. But once again, it's also a fruit of the Spirit, and it's one of those things that we can put up with people. And and so I kind of see this in two facets. One, we shouldn't be patient with um, the annoyances and sinfulness of our Christian brothers and sisters that part of Christian community being in the church is living and doing life and worshiping with people we may not necessarily like all the time. Well, Paul says to bear with one another, which is the yeah. very same concept. To be long-suffering with them and bear look, with one another. There may be some people that you sit beside. There may be some people in your small group. There may be some people in your life that are Christians they're, that just drive you crazy. They're young in the Lord. Yes. They're immature. They're, they have, they're, going, they're, they're trying to learn. You, you just... Our job or older is you got to just put up with them and deal with them. And remember, it's God's kindness that led us to repentance, and it could be your kindness that God has fueled you with that leads to repentance in their life. And so you could be the difference maker. That's good. Um, And then finally, with the world, that we are to be patient with the world, those who are outright blatant sinners, um, people who aren't Christians at your job, in your family, in your friend group, whatever it is, um, that you may have just cause to flip on them because of the craziest things that they're doing. Um, but we can reflect that patience and time and time again, showing them mercy, showing them forgiveness, being patient with them, dealing with them, allowing ourselves to be around them. And then 
um, you know, eventually there may come a real point which you need to exit that situation or whatever. But the point is that as long as you can show that kindness to them, the kindness God shows us. That's good. Cool. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for joining us for our discussion of God's communicable, his moral attributes. We really hope that you enjoyed it. Um, As always, subscribe so that you can get the next episode right into your feed. And then um, make sure that you leave us a review and rate us. That gives us um, more impact in the sort of Apple podcast community more people can see us and then make sure you tune in in the next couple of weeks for our next episode we'll see you there